what's the outcome of a society that really appreciates the movement of the spirit? Mm -hmm. Is that, is that what kind of sure. what you're asking? Yeah. Well, it's a lot less determined, mm. you know, it, the outcomes are a lot less determined because the spirit doesn't work. You know, if we go according to the stories, the spirit doesn't abide by the rules that we, <laughs> we wish it would all the time, you know? So if there's a true appreciation of the movement of the spirit, then it would mean that in theory, we'd be a lot more flexible as far as like what outcomes are going to happen or what outcomes might happen so that there'd be room to kind of negotiate those. So if I expect you to be a certain way, then if you are not that way, then it's very difficult for me to engage with you. But if I appreciate the fact that like there is something else working between us here, then it gives me room. It gives you room to live, to be. Here comes ad content. Welcome back to the Can I Say This at Church podcast. I am Seth, you're you, and we're doing this thing. Thanks for downloading. Uh, January has been a fantastic month for the show. I've gotten so many emails and um, new contacts, and oh, I'm really enjoying this. I can't express how much I really love doing this podcast and doing some semblance of life and faith in a online community, and I'm thankful for it, especially last year and as this year has begun, it has been really important to have communities like this and an outlet like this, so thank you. This show is produced 100% by the patrons of the show and a little bit by ad revenue, and I'm gonna come back to that in a minute, but I did want to take a moment before we got going and thank the newest patrons of the show, both Robert Smith and Rhonda Hufnagel, and I'm really bad with names, so I hope I got that right. But Robert and Rhonda, thank you so much for your patronage. I cannot express how needed that is and it's it's people like you that allow this show to go now i know over this last month and and maybe in some of the back catalog there have been some ads on the show and that ad revenue has been needed to continue to help the show function and grow a bit i have bigger plans for the show this year and all of that has a cost and i'm sure there's a level of patron support that would make that not a thing but we're just not there i ran the numbers and it's just not but as people like Rhonda and robert and the other wonderful humans that are on Patreon continue to um, make this show a thing. Hopefully the ads can go away. In the meantime, I did want to say every patron of any level gets an ad-free version of the show. And they also get a couple other versions of the show. There are different levels there where you can get discounts on any merchandise. There's a level where I just send you a shirt or a mug or a, whatever you want from the store. And um, I'm happy to do so. So consider doing that and if you can't i totally get it totally get it so today i brought on bob dotto now he was referred to me by friend of the show and just overall good human being mike morell and bob bob and i talked about something that i'm really uncomfortable with based on the religious and spiritual upbringing that i am accustomed to of spirits and spirituality in a way of like literally speaking and resting and communicating and interacting with spirits. And Bob wrote a book called Sitting with Spirits. And that is some of what is informing this episode. But it is 
way outside of my comfort zone. And those episodes are the ones that I'm really the most pleased with because, and those episodes are the ones that I'm really the most pleased with because I stretch the most as a human. So I hope you enjoy it. Hope that you get something out of it. I know I sure did. And uh, there we go. Bob Dotto, welcome to the show. Thank you to Mike for putting us in contact with each other. Mike's a great guy. I, I enjoyed reading your book. I'm thankful for your patience with me being tardy to our scheduled time tonight. <laughs> so, no um, but yeah, man, I'm glad to have you on and welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me here. Yeah, who are, who is Bob? Like, if you're like, yeah, all right, so we've got a minute and take as many minutes as you need. Like, who, what, why are Bob? And that's a broken sentence on purpose. Yeah. I mean, there's a, uh, like most people, there's probably a, a, a seemingly infinite number of facets to that. But, but I mean, really, you know, as far as the work and the book is concerned, you know, I'm, I'm someone who's been interested in spiritual things since, a, since I was a teenager and just kind of followed those threads wherever they led me. So they led me to a whole bunch of places. Um, through my teens and twenties and thirties and now I'm 42. So, um, and all I went far and beyond what my sort of cultural upbringing, which was, I guess, Roman Catholic essentially, though we were not, I wouldn't say practicing. We were more like cultural. Mm -hmm. I always called us cultural Catholics. Um, but you know, I went and, and explored all sorts of religious and spiritual traditions and practices and communities and stuff. And then, you know, the past 10 years was really starting to reinvestigate that kind of like root, root religion, you know? So that's what I've been doing mostly, but there's so many, <laughs> yeah. there's so many other parts to talk yeah. about. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean root religion? Root religion being Catholicism or root religion being something else? So I use the term root religion for the, the religion that people were born into. Okay. Um, so not root religion in any sort of historical sense. I just mean like a person's personal gotcha. root religion. Yeah. 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 Now that makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think there are a lot of people that are culturally religious um, mm -hmm. and have, yeah, I've come to realize that, um, religious, uh, literacy, regardless of the religion seems to be relatively low. I used to think it was just a Christian thing where people, you know, really studied and, and dug into their faith. And I'm coming to find that that's just not true. A lot of religions are that way. Like you're, you're, you were born this or born that. And so that's what you are. And when you start pressing into the, the to the harder topics, the questions and answers just seem really, really, really shallow, which is really discouraging, I think. Yeah, you know, I, I think religion, you know, I see religion as culture, you know, I, I see it as a fundamental aspect of culture. And in some ways it is culture. Mm -hmm. So people kind of perform their culture and their religion in the ways that they do, you know, whether they know the, the nuances and the philosophies and the history and the myriad of voices that speak for that tradition that seems to definitely be low yeah <laughs> you know yeah but it's not everyone's thing you know yeah absolutely yeah so your book sitting with spirits and i think i got that name right i i have the digital copy so i've had to memorize the name that is the name right sitting with spirits sitting with spirits exploring the margins of um the unseen margins of Christianity. Yeah. So I saw the book title. I was like, I don't know what's happening here. I read the first mm -hmm. chapter. I was like, ah. So my, my upbringing, my cultural <laughs> root 
had nothing to do. Like we talked about the Holy Spirit at Pentecost that one week, just that uh-huh. one week. The rest of the time, we're just talking about Jesus. Like we're not talking about it any other time. Mm-hmm. Um, so the whole con, like I'm very anxious for the conversation because we are well outside of both my comfort zone and my knowledge, if that makes any sense, because I still sure. like to dive in to head things. Do you find that common as you talk about not spirituality necessarily, but spirits with people? Um, I mean, yes and no. It really depends what circles I'm in. You know, I'm I, the the circles that I tend to to hang out in are pretty friendly to those kinds of ideas and practices and experiences. So, in in that sense, I don't really bump up against much. When I get into more um, and these are, of course, people who've explored multiple religious traditions typically. So mm-hmm. they they sort of like been around other ones that might have had a, more of an affinity to that kind of subject matter. So they're a little more maybe used to it. But I've certainly noticed with this book that when it's in the hands of Christians, people who have been raised Christian and kind of like maintained that thread throughout their life, that it can be a little bit tricky, mm. <laughs> you yeah. know. Which is fun, you know, which is great. You know, yeah. I'm happy to talk. Why do you about think that, that is? Because I can't put my finger on it outside of like, I don't know. Like I asked a friend that is um like Pentecostal and way more charismatic than me. And he's like, Oh yeah, man. How and he just kept talking. I was like, it's a different language. Like it's yeah. so like why why? Why do you think that is? Well, I mean, I think first off, it's it's a time issue, like a historical issue. Like the the idea of spirits is not really um, in favor right now. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Or it has been in the past hundred years. But you know, when we get back into the eighteen hundreds and and stuff like that, that these become the idea of spirits becomes much more a fluid conversation. You know, there's much more of a belief in that these things might be you know real. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas today, it's it's not really appreciated at that level. So. There's that. And certainly within Christianity as a whole, different threads of it have emphasized different aspects of, of the teachings. Mm-hmm. Some, you know, like you said, some it's just Jesus centric, some it's Old Testament stuff, you know, some of it's um, charismatic. So the Holy Spirit, you know, and then you've got like spiritualism and all, you know, it, I think it really just depends like what the flavor of your community was and where their emphasis was. So in your first chapter, you use the word rosary, but I've only ever used that word as like the beads, like right, correct, like the rosary beads. But you seem to be using the word rosary in a way that are implying that the whole, and and just for context, for those that haven't read the book and you should stop doing what you're doing and, and get, the, because it really is a challenging book, at least for me. You're, you're talking about being at, I get, would you call it a seance? I, I guess. I don't know what you would call that. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. Um, but you're using the word rosary and it seems to be a different thing other than like the beads. So what, what are you doing there? Right. So that might be just kind of a scene thing, you know, rosary, a, a rosary is the beads, but mm-hmm. to say a rosary is, um, I'm guessing you weren't, you're not Catholic. No, I was raised okay. Protestant. Yeah. Raised okay. Baptist. So there, yeah. That's the difference. I mean, in, in Catholicism to say a rosary is to, is to use the rosary beads to say the prayers. Mm. Um, and that is typically done in the Marian tradition or practice, you know, where it's, it's a rosary to Mary, but there are things called chaplets, which are variations of a rosary. Mm. So a rosary is a certain number of beads and there's certain prayers that are prescribed for it. Um, and petitions and things like that. So that's, you know, doing a rosary 
in that respect. So it can be a rosary is both the beads oh, and see. it's also the act. <laughs> yeah. The so act, yeah. my ignorance is it's ble- oh, is bleeding well. through. Yeah. Where <laughs> I grew up in, in, in Southwest Texas, I'm not even sure where the Catholic church was like, yeah, it's just like Bible belt, hundred percent. Um, I mean, I grew yeah. up in New Jersey, so like it's all Catholic. We didn't, church. we didn't know. Like as a kid, c- Christians weren't even like we weren't Christian. We were Catholic. Like Christian <laughs> was some other thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> I knew it had something to do with something related to what we were, but uh, I-, I didn't even know. Like I really just had no idea. <laughs> we yeah. were like just Catholic. That that was the thing. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm coming to find that that term Christian means way more things than <laughs> yeah. either of us was told. So when you say the word spirit and it's woven through the whole book, I think that you're using that word differently than my upbringing would use. And I actually wrote down, I write down very few questions. And we may want to come back to this, but like I literally wrote, what's the difference between my sense of self and a sense of spirit? Like if you like, cause you're talking about giving spirit voice throughout the book. And then even just in that opening chapter, like as I'm reading things, I was like, what the flip is happening here? Like, sure. what is spirit? Like, can we just start there? Maybe at a foundation, like, what are we saying when we say that? Cause sure. So that, that changes with different communities. I'll just start that out. But, but my understanding and the way I've experienced it and the way I talk about it is that there's spirit within a person that God bestowed spirit into humanity, into humans. And that's the sort of motivating force. It, it, we see it in our language, you know, they have a really great spirit or very vibrant spirit, or they have a, their spirits very sad, or my, my spirit feels low today or whatever, you know, in the colloquial speech, you can kind of hear sort of uh, the flavor of what a spirit might be. So the spirit is that kind of like the energy you feel during any particular time of the day. Mm-hmm. When you start looking at spirit as an entity, then you start seeing it as, yes, it's this sort of motivating kind of feelings kind of thing inside you, but it also remains after you die. In some some traditions, they believe that, right? That it's like in an untimely death, a case of an untimely death, so-called, uh, the spirit might linger, you know? And you we come across this in ideas of purgatory and and mm-hmm. things like that as well. So a spirit in the very like basic sense is like the lingering aspect of a human being in the world, right? Not everyone believes in that. Not everyone ascribes to that definition, um, but that's kind of like a really general. Then of course there's the Holy Spirit, which mm-hmm. is a, obviously part of the Trinity. Um, yeah. So I mean I can I can take us through the yeah. whole theology no, behind no, all this no. stuff but I think yeah. we'll I think we'll get there. I I guess <laughs> yeah no we'll definitely get there. So what spirit is happening in the community that you're in in chapter 1 cuz like people are mm-hmm. saying things it feels like at random and you reference kind of like an internal monologue of I should say this I should say this and then you end up not saying anything. Like right what is that spirit? Is that someone from their community? Is that just some random spirit in this context just happens to be passing through this community? Like I'm just traveling on the jet stream today and I'm usually, I'm probably badly using the the term terminology for spirit there. Like what is that? Okay. So in that community, that's, that's a Lakumi tradition. It's an Afro-Caribbean tradition, a spirituality, spiritual system that's been around for for quite some time. And they have a very robust appreciation of spirit and spirits. So I was at what's called an espiritismo or a, a spiritual misa. 
um, which is a mass, but not like a mass like you or I have ever been to as right. kids or adults. <laughs> right. um, and so in that world, there are many spirits. Spirits are very much present in the world. The spirits, the lingering spirits of people who have passed. So in that room, people who are sensitive to that kind of stuff uh, will feel as if they are being spoken to or they're getting information or they're having some sort of experience that feels outside of themselves. And there's different ways of understanding, is that true? And there's a lot of like testing that goes on. So it's not just like everything someone says is, oh, that must be a spirit. You know, sometimes they're like, is it, is it not? And they go through different various ways of determining that. So in that first chapter, I'm in that group and I'm watching people perform what is believed to be spirit communication. So the average observer, if, mm-hmm. say from, let's just pick a random state, Kansas, if they're in the okay. room with you, like mm-hmm. what do you think most people would view watching that as an outsider? Demonic. Oh, hundred percent. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> it isn't, it is not, but I, but you know, because there's a lot of cultural baggage that people bring to mm-hmm. these sort of things and that mm-hmm. goes both ways. You know what I mean? They would probably say that it's uh this isn't God, this isn't holy, mm-hmm. but I shouldn't project because people who have familiarity with being overtaken with the Holy spirit, that very charismatic tradition, they may look at it and be like, I don't know. It looks like Holy Spirit to me. I mean, I've been to some Pentecostal <laughs> churches and I've seen more talking in tongues there than I do here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so in one sense, I say, you know, the cultural aspect of it, because there's probably statues around and incense and things that look kind of nefarious, even though they're not, it might be translated as malit, like not of God, but really it is, it's quite godly. So I want to drill there on demonic. So part, I think it's chapter four, maybe chapter five, you're doing like, you're talking about like casting out demons and demonic thought and demonization of the spirit. And that that's kind of a, who, what is it? It's a, a, I'm trying to think of the name of the saint. It's a saint. I can't think of the name. It starts with a C. Here's what you said. So you say, there has always been a problem of using Jesus' casting out of demons as a theological justification for demonization of spirits. Paraphrase there at the end of mine, yeah. of spirits. So, and you use the word, most people, you know, say from Kansas would look at that and be like, what the hell is happening here? Like, this has to be demonic. So how are the two conflated? Like, demonic spirits versus n- not so historically, what, what kind of happened is just prior to the biblical era that we see in the Bible, and certainly Jesus more, more particularly, there was an understanding of spirits. Spirits float around, they, they cause mischief, um, and certainly in Greece, and, and um, well, Greece in particular, there was an understanding that spirit lingered and could be both beneficial and you know, malicious, you know, um, it was kind of like neutral in that way. And in the old Testament, you see a bit of this as well. As you get to the time of Jesus, the only spirits that are really mentioned are ones that are essentially causing problems. Mm-hmm. They'll talk about like Jesus needed to cast out this, this bad spirit or evil spirit or unclean spirit. They don't talk too much about the spirits that were not causing problems because 
what's to talk about really. So as the tradition grew, the Christian tradition grew and, and found its way into other cultures, the idea of a demon kind of took over. It just became the governing default term for what would actually be not so singular. Yeah. Right. So it just became demons. If someone's, you know, upset, it's demons. If someone's ranting, it's demons, all negative, all negative. Mm. So in that chapter, I think it's chapter four, I'm sort of unpacking that it was a lot more nuanced in, in the Bible and in, certainly in Jesus's work and time. What you'll find with me uh, um, is, is I, I bounce around quite a bit. Um, quite Go a for bit. it. So um, oh, I struggle. This is so the bit, the hardest part for conversations like this are I mm. literally have so little background to fall on because of my upbringing. Yeah, as I read your book, I kept taking notes and then kept getting frustrated and then kept taking notes and then it, it, it's fine. I want to go back to something you said at the very beginning of the book. So you say that you're trying, I think you say some of the effect of you for a while you fell away from the Catholicism of your youth and that you were hoping to find a new. Catholicism of the spirit, um, like a way to, to marry the two. What do you mean when you say Catholicism of the spirit? And, and honestly, have you, have you found a way? Cause I don't know that you really answer that question in the end outside of some appendices, but maybe I feel like it's left open. I could have missed it though. Totally could have missed it. No, I mean, the book itself is kind of a testament to me kind of really embracing it. And I've certainly embraced that tradition in a much more broad more informed fashion than when mm. I was a kid. So that's the case now. But, you know, the book is also written for a lot of the people that I'm in, I'm around um, and in communication with and talking to and, and all that kind of stuff are people who were like me, you know, had this faith or this religion that they grew into, grew up in, rejected it for any number of reasons. And then over, and we're talking 20 years later, they're starting to be like, wait a minute, you know, there's, there's stuff here. There's stuff here. That's, that's mine. You know what I mean? I grew up in this. I, I could be exploring this. So people are coming back to it and, you know, I'm kind of speaking to those people and saying, look, this tradition is not, everyone's going to tell you it's one thing. It's not one thing. And it's not even a hundred things. It's many different things. Um, and part of finding your place in it is to, find the areas of the tradition that resonate with you. And that could be the spirits, that could be the saints, that could be red letter Bibles. I mean, it could be, it can come, you can come at it from so many different aspects. Mm -hmm. So that's like my mission yeah. in a way is to show people the, the breadth of this tradition in all its forms. Yeah. So you yeah. fell away from Catholicism as a youth. And so now you would call yourself Catholic again or sure, something, yeah. something different? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I would call myself a Catholic, you know, like it's, I, I, I mean, I have sat with so many people that are so not this religion that at this point, the labels are almost kind of like funny in a way, mm -hmm. but like, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, I, yeah. I would consider myself Catholic. Yeah. Your answer sounds like, so somebody the other day asked me if I was Christian. I was like, sure. And I, I gave very similar answer. He's like, I was like, I was like, I'm not really overly involved in whatever that means. I'm right. just trying to do like Matthew 25. Like I don't want to be like Matthew 23. I'm trying to focus on Matthew 25. I don't want to yeah. be a brood of vipers. Just trying to love my neighbor. 
hundred percent. I'm I'm literally whatever, the same boat. Whatever that is, that's what that's we'll call myself that. <laughs> someone called me someone said, Oh, you know, you being a Christian and all, blah, 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 in a, in a comment online. I was like, What? Like well, it felt so strange. <laughs> you know, I don't really think of myself that way. Yeah. But yeah. Well, I mean, the the titles, uh, evangelical, Catholic, like they all get conscripted to mean whatever they need to mean for political power or monetary power or empire power but that's an entirely thing separate of of spirit um, doesn't have to be <laughs> yeah so um so you unpack the holy spirit and you unpack it through pentecost and and so you i mean i stopped taking notes because i felt like i was just literally copying out the book but like when you unpack it like you talk about like there's like three things and i never really thought about any of these and i've never really heard it preached either probably because, again, of the denomination that I'm in. So you say, uh, first off, the Holy Spirit arrives, which I wrote down, so where the hell is it? B, and then it comes with a glorious noise, which still doesn't make any sense to me. C, and I think you actually call them one, two, three, but whatever. Uh, And then the Spirit wants us to speak. Can you rip those three things apart? Sure. Yeah, I really wanted to emphasize, because my understanding of the Holy Spirit as a kid and just in the culture was that it's this kind of theoric thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't really have a place. It doesn't really do much. It's just kind of like the third part of the Trinity. So I went back and I started unpacking, well, what does it say? How is it showing up in these stories? And it shows up in three main ways, which are the ways you just mentioned. So the first one is that it arrives, meaning that you feel it. There is a sense that it was not here a moment ago. You felt one way, and then all of a sudden you feel another way. And that's what happens in the Bible. There's, you know, I use the example of Peter placing his hands on some people and the Holy Spirit descending. Now in that story, these people were believers in Jesus. They were essentially followers of Christ. We're all in but they still hadn't had, according to the story, they still hadn't had the Holy Spirit or baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is very telling. It tells us that you can say and do and feel all sorts of ways, but the Holy Spirit is something specific that enters your life and you feel it. Does it feel the same for everybody? I'm sure it doesn't, but at least according to the text and to the stories and which are our tradition, these stories, it's something that you feel. It's something that arrives. The second part is the glorious noise. So that's a sort of another, an elaboration on that first part, which is that in all these stories, nothing remains the same, right? Like the, the environment that people are in changes. So it's described as a glorious noise, but it's really like things change around you. You know, your experience, at least your experience of things change or changes around you. It's not like you just, it, things are just passive anymore. You're, mm-hmm. or you're passive to the environment anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, something is here and it's made itself known. And then the third is, of course, the push to, to profess or the push to speak. It's another very super common theme in, in the arrival of the Holy Spirit is that not only do you have the experience, not only does your environment seem to change, or at least your appreciation of your environment changes, but you are motivated to talk about it. <laughs> whether it's through prophecy, through tongues, through wisdom, through whatever form you, it takes. So it's this very, it's, it's a very visceral, it's very vibrant. It's, it's a, it's a big thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of a big deal, you yeah. know? Um, and so that's what those three parts are really talking about is that it's something that happens. You feel it and you're changed because of it. Give me a minute. We'll be right back. 
if someone's listening and they're like, I don't think that's ever happened to me. Like I'm sitting back, I'm thinking back through my entire life. I don't know that that ever happened. What then? Like, is there a feeling of discouragement? Should they be seeking that? How do they possibly sink that? Should they really not worry about it? Like it'll happen when it needs to happen. Like, cause I can, like, as I read through parts of it, I was like, I don't know that I've ever experienced most of these things. And so I was like, well, what is, what does that say about me? You know right, what I mean? Sure. I've felt the same way. I mean, I get it. I, I, my take on that would be that people probably have felt that shift in their life and maybe just not attributed it to a, a, a divine of divine origin, so to speak, or of some movement or a quickening, what's often called a quickening of the spirit, which I love that, that phrase, but we've all had epiphanies. We've all had aha moments, which are, you know, just kind of like minor, you know, but we've all also had just deep, rich appreciations of another person or of a situation or of a scenario that's occurring where we just feel above and beyond what we're used to. Mm. Now, are those moments of the Holy Spirit? That's really between you and the Holy Spirit, you Mm. know? But I think if you're tuned to that, and I think the more you, it's a practice, the more you the more you sort of commit to being like, I'm going to just pay attention when those things happen and actually like stay with them a little bit and just feel what they feel like. I think people will feel that there is something happening here. Is it trumpets? Do like trumpets come in and angels? Probably not, but I don't think that's really what it's about. You know, it's a glorious noise. It's It's a glorious noise, but it could be a quiet, glorious noise. (laughs) Sure. Why not? Don't wake up the neighbors. Does the, what would the concept of the Holy Spirit exist like in the first community that you were writing about in chapter one? Um, like, was that, cause you had said that some of those people that were practicing, um, you know, being basically spiritual mediums for things that have been left unsaid or that need to be said, how does one do that? But then also practice, um, cause you had said some of them were practicing Catholics, I think even in the, in the book. So definitely, how does that coincide? Cause that just breaks my brain a bit. So the first thing people need to understand is that Catholicism, there's Catholicism of like the Roman Catholic church, but that's like, um, (laughs) I don't really know how to describe it, but it's kind of like, that's like the centralized authority on certain matters. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's not the, the end story of what actually goes on in the world. Right. This religion is not the church. This religion is, is in flux at all times is constantly being reinvented, not reinvented. Like someone invents it. I mean, it's constantly being breathed into new life. Mm-hmm. Um, so what that means is that to these people, of course, they're still Catholic to them. It's like, I grew up Catholic. I believe in Jesus. I go to mass. Uh, I perform all the rites. I, I invest myself in it. And I also believe in this other aspect. That's the church doesn't really recognize so much, but it's, it's here, you know, it's kind of like you participate in the world. And if your world involves spirits, then you participate with spirits. You know what I mean? If your world doesn't involve spirits, you don't, it doesn't mean it's, it infect or it affects what, what Catholicism is, you know? I want to pivot to some of the theology of Paul. I think you you spend a good section of your time there on the gifts of the spirit, theology of Paul. You got some quotes in there out of Timothy and I can't remember exactly which Timothy it is. I think that was the part that talks about like demonic spirits, I think, or, or spirits that are not, hold on, I'll actually find it. I have it bookmarked. At least I think I have it. Yeah. Timothy four one, the spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith 
and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. But you break through like a lot of the gifts of the spirit, speaking in tongues, Pentecost, all the stuff throughout Acts and the other books of the Bible, and you rip them apart in ways that I hadn't really prepared to read. Can you talk briefly on some of those? And just to be real honest, speaking in tongues is the one that freaks me out the most. Sure. It, matter of fact, my mom asked me the other day, and I was like, "Mom, I don't like literally two days ago." I was like, "Mom, I really, I don't, I don't know." I she don't. asked you what? what so are someone, uh, no, she asked me my thoughts about it. Um, so oh. someone had come to our house. So my my father recently passed, and someone felt mm-hmm. like they needed to come and pray with her. And then while they were there praying, there were a couple of them, and you know, they laid hands on her, and then just started praying in a different language. And um, my mom was like, "I didn't know what to do with that." I was like, "Well, I mean, be great grateful that they came." And I don't know, mom. <laughs> like, I, 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 <laughs> what do you do with that? Yeah. So yeah. the fruits of the spirits, I, I think it's because of the, the denomination that I'm in. And again, my upbringing, like they don't make any sense to me. If that makes, they don't hold much logical sense for me. Can you go in a bit of what you say around those? Because again, they're sure. connected to spirit. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, speaking in tongues, you find everywhere around the globe in all traditions, um, this sort of performance. And by per- when I say performance, I don't mean like it's a put on or an act. I mean, like it is it is an external expression of something that's happening. So, you know, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they're actually spoken of slightly differently in, in a few different areas. But the ones that I speak about are very specific in nature. The speaking in tongues, if that's what you're kind of asking about, the speaking in tongues. I'm, I'm curious about and he describes them very detailed or, or gives very detailed names of them. One is wisdom. One is knowledge. One is prophecy. One is the ability to heal. One is the ability, the ability to speak in tongues. Whereas another gift is the ability to interpret those tongues with the Holy spirit or the Holy spirit has come down onto them. And he describes them very detailed or, or gives very detailed names of them. One is wisdom. One is knowledge. One is prophecy. One is the ability to heal. One is the ability, the ability to speak in tongues. Whereas another gift is the ability to interpret those tongues. And uh, one is of course, miracles or being able to perform extraordinary acts. And he says, no one will have all of them, right? People will, some people will get this, some people will get that. And the idea is that if we live together, we'll all have be able to share these gifts with one another and form a nice big, it's like Voltron. Like a church, you know, like a church, <laughs> like, a, like a church or like Voltron. <laughs> Voltron. Same thing. <laughs> um, like the Power Rangers. Same thing. Uh, oh, the Power Rangers are such a cheap knockoff of Voltron. Yeah, but yeah. I know. Um, so, uh, so, yeah. so speaking in tongues, the way I define speaking in tongues and the way I've experienced it is that if you think of the human being as a vessel, right? A vessel that has all of its conditioning, all of its cultural projections, all of its ways of seeing, which are very limited, right? Of course, just by the nature of having eyes in front of their head, our, our, our heads, we are limited in our scope of vision. So we come to all these things with sort of preconceived ideas and, and the things we hold on to. Spirit doesn't abide by that. So spirit comes down and it needs to find a way to express itself. You're kind of like an antenna. And what happens is that message gets very garbled in a way, you know what I mean? So people start speaking in languages they don't necessarily know, in languages that nobody knows because they're not languages that we use. They speak in ways that can be quite confusing. So one of the other gifts is the ability to interpret that speech, right? So the speaking in tongues, the way I experience it and, and understand it is that it's kind of watching 
a human who's this kind of small in a way character in the in the story trying to negotiate something that's much bigger much more feral mm-hmm. in a way mm-hmm. and it has to kind of find its way through this very tiny hole we call yeah. the mouth yeah. <laughs> right yeah so so you're really just witnessing it so for your mother and she asks like what what do you do there in a way you just kind of witness it you know what i mean make sure the person doesn't get hurt themselves you know if they're flailing about but you witness it and if you believe that these are divine acts you kind of give thanks that you were able in the presence you know mm. and if there wasn't anyone there to interpret well maybe next time you know yeah So I remember growing up, I was always told if someone's speaking in tongues and there is no one there to interpret, they're not doing it right. And But those were the rules I was told. So the other ones though, so those ones we don't talk about as much. So prophecy, healing, like all that other stuff, like what do we do with those? Um, Because I don't know what it's like for someone to use the spirit to speak a prophecy. Like I, again, all of those are well outside of my wheelhouse. So how does one like myself know what to listen to? Right. So that's discernment, you know, that, 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 that's a whole nother practice. You know, the Ignatians are, are great at talking about like spiritual discernment, being able to discern what's worth listening to and what's not in any scenario, whether it's like what you should buy at the store for groceries or what like is true prophecy or not. But, you know, these things, these gifts are, there's a sense for the person who's experiencing it, that this is not of them, right? That, it's a subtle thing. And we could, as outsiders, we can look and say, well, of course it's you, you're speaking it. Like what, you know, that's a very new, very modern way of understanding what's happening there. It just is according to the history. It's just modern, very new way of thinking that it isn't prophecy, mm-hmm. you know, a hundred, 200 years ago and all the way back, it would have just been like, yeah, that's prophecy. It just wouldn't have been, it would have been a big deal, but also kind of like not a huge deal. It's like people prophesize. That's what you see it in the Bible all the time. You say, oh yeah. And then he went over there and he was prophesizing for a while. And then he went and like went fishing and it's like, okay, uh, (laughs) the tone, it tells you that this was a much more normative thing. And we just don't have access to that. I didn't, I wasn't raised with that. You know what I mean? At all. But traveling around, watching other cultures engage in things that were quite similar, you start to see that like, this is this is everywhere. This way of thinking or appreciating what's happening has been around much longer than, than the way we appreciate it, huh. which is a lack of appreciation. <laughs> what does the role of modern science and specifically like therapy, mental health, how, do, how should that play together with Holy Spirit? Because I, I see and I, I've had people tell me, you know, if something's not happening correctly, I'm just not praying correctly. I'm not in touch with the Holy Spirit, this, that, and the other, like using it as a, as a carrot or a MacGuffin to yield power or um, sway my thoughts on this side or the other. Um, and I've had other people say, well, the whole thing's crazy. Like they just didn't have an understanding of germ theory or anything else. So of course they gave it a name like, and that's what they call it. Like that person was just having a psychotic break and they called that a spirit. How do those two interplay for today? I mean, it, in some sense, it's like, yes, and, you know, it's like, yeah, some of these people were probably epileptic, mm-hmm. you know, and they called it spirit. Today, we call it epilepsy. In 100 years or 200 years or 500 years or 1,000 years, do you think they're going to call it epilepsy? No. <laughs> no, they're going to look back and say, well, that was really rudimentary, mm. you know, and it isn't. It isn't rudimentary. It's like we live in a context like 
this idea that things are progressing, like, oh, well, they didn't know this and now they do. And now we know more. It's actually not really true. It's like, you know what you know, base everything we do based on the knowledge we have, Mm. right? They didn't Mm. know less. They just knew different. You know, it was as true to them as ours is true now. So, so in some sense we could say, oh, well, they were just all like, they were, they were having psychotic breaks. Sure. Maybe they were, but the way they interpreted it was, was different. What I will say though, there's a really good, I think Ram Dass might've said it, one one of the major Western spiritual teachers who recently passed away. He, I don't know if it was him. I don't know who said it, but what they said was, somebody said this really great thing, (laughs) which is that, you know, mysticism or mystics swim in the ocean that psychotics drown in. So it's this idea that if you are able to still maintain a connection to the social world, but you have these rich, deep, heavy duty experiences, even if you have them 99% of the time, but 1% you remember, I'm the son of X, Y, and Z, you are still playing in the world of mysticism. If you lose all of that, then in our culture, we call that a psychotic break. Hmm. That is not how all cultures in India, they don't necessarily call it that, you know, and India is not a rudimentary version of America. It is different. So, you know, it's, there's gray area, there's crossover, there's, it's like, there's no line. Certainly once you scratch the surface, there's no line. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly not. I Googled that. If you can believe the Google, that would be Joseph Campbell, which that sounds like something Joseph Campbell would say. He actually said the psychotic drowns in the same waters in which the mystic swims with delight is what this says, which is even better. Yeah, sure. Well, it's Joseph Campbell. Um, (laughs) One of my, one of my good, one of my good friends studied under him and, and often he'll say things and I'm like, that's brilliant. He's like, yeah, that was, that was not, that was Joseph Campbell. I'm like, right. (laughs) Yeah. At the beginning of your book for context at recording for those listening, cause, cause honestly, uh, honestly, Bob, I have no idea when I'll release this soonish. I'm I'm, I'm comfortable with a soonish timeline. We just finished with the election. We're like on the Tuesday, whatever day it is. Yeah. The Tuesday after the AP said that, you know, um, Biden became president elect. So for context for that, uh, that's where we're at in the timeline as, as I'm asking this question, but you write in here that for, and it's in a chapter about orientation, the way that we orient ourselves towards spirit. You say the U S culture prioritizes self-determination over spirit. What does that mean? Self-determination. And I say that U S culture, because it's, it feels prescient for the moment that we're in, in the world. Right. So on the whole, despite being considered to be a very religious society, North America is considered very religious. On the whole, there's still this idea and it's, it's held to very strongly that at the end of the days, it's a bootstraps culture, right? Like if you want to make something happen, you have to like do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's what I'm kind of referring to there. It's not necessarily a culture that sort of says, well, if it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be. You know what I mean? We may say that, that may be part of our lexicon, but the governing principle is that, well, if it's not meant to be and you want it to be, just go do it. And that's a fine principle. I think that has plenty of pros to it, but it changes how we understand and how we read a text like the Bible. Our interpretation of the Bible is colored by that understanding that it's like, oh, well, if you're not affluent, you know, if you're not rich, you know, you're just not working hard enough. You're, you're not doing enough. 
You know what I mean? That's, mm. and if you're not doing enough, it means Jesus is, if they're religious, then they'll say, well, Jesus isn't listening. You're being punished. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're not doing enough. Yeah. You know, so it colors. So that's, that's really what I was referring yeah. to there. Okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I got confused reading that because the way you, so the way you just described it sounds similar to self-determination is equivalent to a prosperity theology, uh, a, domin- a dominionist theology. At least that's the way I'm, I'm hearing it. Let's pretend humans as a whole are more attuned to listening to spirits and all the manner that that can be manifested, specifically the Holy Spirit. What do you feel like changes? Like, what do you see? Like, if people could do that, like, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, this is the outcome of that. That's a really good question. I don't think I've ever really asked that question. <laughs> so what's the outcome? So I'm going to just say it back so that I have it. What's the outcome of a society that really appreciates the movement of the spirit? Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that what kind sure. of what you're asking? Yeah. Well, it's a lot less determined. Mm. You know, it, the outcomes are a lot less determined because the spirit doesn't work. You know, if we go according to the stories, the spirit doesn't abide by the rules that we <laughs> we wish it would all the time. You know, so if there's a true appreciation of the movement of the spirit, then it would mean that in theory, we'd be a lot more flexible as far as like what outcomes are going to happen or what outcomes might happen so that there'd be room to kind of negotiate those. So if I expect you to be a certain way, then if you are not that way, then it's very difficult for me to engage with you. But if I appreciate the fact that like there is something else working between us here, then it gives me room. It gives you room to live, to be, mm. you know, to change your mind, to, you know, to turn course. Um, it gives us room to just be bigger, mm. you know, to, to have a, a more full range of our human experience. That will be in, a, in an ideal scenario, I yeah. think. Yeah, no, I like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why yeah. not? Yeah. He doesn't want that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe I'd be able to hear people and, and they'd be able to hear me. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, so final, final couple questions. Um, so the last one, you, you wrap up the book with some practices, one of which is Lectio Divina, which is one of my favorite ways, favorite, favorite. I don't know if that's a good sentence. One of my preferred ways of, of studying scripture. I'm a mm-hmm. huge fan. I do that. And the examine, the examine I do that's every lovely. day. And Lectio Divina probably once a week because um, it takes a lot more effort on it my part. It takes a lot of time. To, um, yeah. So <laughs> like I drive Divina. about 40 minutes each way to work. So I okay. can do the examine while I drive without having an accident usually. Um, <laughs> nice. Lectio Divina, I can't because like I have to uh, close my eyes. Like it, it takes a lot more concentration and I'm driving a 4,000 pound piece of steel. Like I, <laughs> I need to be at least marginally focused. So of those practices, which ones do you feel like are maybe a few that people that are un, that are uncomfortable or, or maybe have never thought about trying to attune themselves to the spirit that they could begin to engage in in a way that would kind of slowly wade into the waters, if that makes any sense? A hundred. Yeah, a hundred percent. It makes sense. I mean, the daily examine is, is, is a beautiful way to do that. You know, those practices I give in there and then I give a preface to it are not meant to they're not like ways to listen to the spirit. You know, what they are, they're ways to slow down and become sensitive to your environment, whether that be the environment of the holy books, your environment of like literally sounds around you, because we don't do that. Mm-hmm. That's many of us. Yeah. We just don't make time for that. And 
What I found when I first started engaging with this more like spirit, I call it a spiritful, so rather than spiritual, spiritful practices mm. is it took me a while because I actually had to shut up, you know, <laughs> like just be, you know, which is not to say like I would, I was doing lots of other things, the yoga and stuff, but like, so I had an understanding of what that meant even, but some people have no idea what that even means. Yeah. Like say, what do you mean? Be quiet, like be quiet and do what? So the practices I give in there are kind of very beginner, not beginner. They can, you can do them the sure. rest of your life, but they're easily approachable practices to start listening. But what you were talking about, the daily examine or Lectio Divina, you know, reading spiritual texts in a, in a very contemplative manner. I mean, that's, that's where the goods are. You know, those mm. are great ones. The Ignatians, I mentioned them before, you know, they know how to do that. They're good people to go talk to, or at least read from, you know, yeah. um, they're, they're versed yeah. in that. Kind Which of ones stuff. do you do? Which ones are your fallback on? So you, like, if you've had a stressful day or a stressful month or whatever, like what, what are the ones that you fall back on where you're like, all right, I really need to get refocused here. So my practice basically at this point is doing, um, right now I'm doing the nation's spiritual exercises, mm -hmm. which I've been doing every day for half a year now. So that's reading aspects of the scripture, the teachings of Ignatius, St. Ignatius. And it's kind of like Lecta Divinia in mm -hmm. some ways, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's that contemplative reading. But every morning, you know, I, I get up very early and I say some prayers. I have an altar and I say my prayers there and I do some chanting and some singing and then I practice yoga. And then, you know, it starts very early and then I clean my apartment for an hour, <laughs> which is another <laughs> practice I do, huh. you know, so I have. I chant while I practice, while I clean for an hour, typically not every day, but most days. Mm. So I do lot. There's lots that I do. Yeah. But to answer your question, if I'm just like, man, I'm feeling really like I might say a rosary or, you know, sing some hymns and things like that. I, I, I'm a big, like what are called like bhakti. Bhakti is the, the yogic tradition of like devotion. Okay. I like to sing, you know what I mean? I like to sing old folk songs and, and huh. hymns and stuff. Those really kind of like just shake it out you yeah. know yoga is also on the list of things i am entirely ignorant of um yeah well, that's okay never have never have done any yoga mm -hmm. outside of watching my wife do it like as a as a form of exercise um but sure. not not the that works. not a spiritual thing at all um so a question i've been asking everyone this year uh, and so I'd like to end with this. So if you were trying to wrap words around you know here's what god is the divine is whatever and you're trying to explain that to someone say the person that lives below or above you like what do you say to that i say that god fills all the cracks you know what i mean mm -hmm. god is where god is the incomprehensible um just motivating force for all things and all non-things that's a very big answer mm -hmm. but i would also say that god refines itself for us to experience God through saints or, or special beings or, um, or prayers or songs or trees, you know, or just in life itself, like we can experience God in all sorts of fashions around us because yeah. God is in all those things. So while we can't comprehend the scope of God, we don't need to because we've got the tree and we've got the saints and we've got the songs. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah. 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 God did us a, a real solid there. <laughs> <laughs> Making it a little easy. <laughs> I love it. Bob, where do you want people to go? Where, where do they go to do the things? Do the things with me? Yeah. 
So I spend most of my time, unfortunately, on Instagram. Mm. Uh, So I have an Instagram handle known as New Old Traditions. Um, That's where I spend a lot of time. I post videos there, talks there, Mm. quips there. Um, I stream there. I host classes. Um, Anything I'm doing, I post there. Um, Yeah, I just use it as kind of my website at this point. New Old Traditions. New old traditions. I love that. It's oxymoronic. I love it. Yeah. Very much. Yeah. I appreciate your time so much tonight. And, thanks so um, much, Seth. Yeah. Thanks for allowing me to fumble through some really I think you did great. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think that it's important to find things that we can learn from people that do faith and spirituality different than us. There's always something that you can come home to. And I'm reminded of, a, of something that Barbara Brown Taylor said, where she said, you know, I can learn about God from other faiths and other ways of doing faith. It's just Jesus that I come home to. And I find great comfort in that. So I'm thankful for people like Bob and other people that stretch me because I do see God getting bigger than that tiny one that I grew up believing in. What you're going to want to do right now is hit pause, go down and click the show notes and just become a patron supporter of the show. Another call to action, tell your friends about the show, maybe rate and review it. I hope that you are well, that you're blessed. Next week, I have a fantastic conversation on a hard topic about racism. Uh, And I think that that matters as I have Joel Edward goes on the show And then February is another fantastic month. I cannot wait for that to happen. And I will see many of you over on Patreon or on Facebook or on Twitter or via email. I really hope that you're blessed.